Now tuning in to Earbud Media. Audio for everyone. Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. Ah. Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. Ah. Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. Ah. Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. Hi, everybody. Hi. Welcome to Anthropology in the Time, the time of the Apocalypse. apocalypse. Woo, 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 woo. <laughs> it's our first episode with just me and Erin. Yes. So who oh, are you? Sure. Hello. I'm Nina. Um, I'm a person. I was about to say my last name, but I don't want to because I don't want anyone to like find me on Facebook or anything. <laughs> <laughs> who are you? I'm Erin. So we're friends and we met in college. We were both anthropology majors. I can't remember how it was. Were we sophomores? I think so. I think yeah. we met at some event. Was it an event? Some bad anthro event. Oh, yeah. Was it a like a club? Like for, what is that group called? Oh, my God. I should know because I was in it. <laughs> yeah, I think we met at an event and then we had a class together. And I remember so vividly I was talking to our old anthropology friends you kept coming up on my facebook as a friend and i was like she's an anthropology major and we should be friends (laughs) and i think the other person was like yeah i think she's really nice but she doesn't talk a lot (laughs) so we like actually we were like let's start trying to make this person our friend i think it was actually it was Aaliyah, and i am so honored we had class together (laughs) And then I, like, started inviting you, like, actually, I remember on Facebook to just random, like, parties that my friends were hosting and I was hosting. And then you started coming. (laughs) Well, because I am quiet because I don't assume people want to talk to me. So I appreciated being, I was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm invited. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Like, we we were so adamant in making you a friend. Especially since there was not enough people. Like, um, most of the people in our program were not great. No, there's... <laughs> no, we weren't... No. No. And that's, like, all that needs to be said about that portion of it. But, yeah, it was very exciting because I agree. There were very few... I'll just say also a lot of anthro people weren't into maybe just, like, cultural yeah. anthropology at all. So that also... right sways a lot of interest yeah we come from a program of anthropology with a lot of archaeologists which i think is kind of crazy because not and i might be just wrong you know (laughs) but i did not there's not a lot of archaeologists in the world there's not a lot of people i didn't realize i just didn't think many people would be like yes this is my passion and yeah. yet so many, we met an, an alarming amount. <laughs> an alarming amount. Yeah. Like, yes. But also, maybe our year just had an overwhelming amount of dirt diggers, you know? <laughs> I just think there's such a juxtaposition of like, that's not yours, put it back. And like, right. I must have it, sort of, right. that really splits anthro. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a bit of a split, you know, several splits in anthropology as a whole, a couple, several splits <laughs> between many a politic, many a activism, thoughts, feelings, and um, just, you know, human decency. Yeah. More issues yeah. 
than the world has gained from Anthro. Right. Definitely. I feel like we should... So we went to DePaul Mm -hmm. University of Chicago, located in Lincoln Park, Chicago, which I wouldn't actually consider Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, I'm from Chicago. Erin, where are you from? I would say outside of Philadelphia. (laughs) Close enough to get a good cheesesteak. Far Mm. enough (laughs) to be a suburb. Did you know that, like, there's... I didn't realize, and you know, hmm, it's it's not great. But as a as a young child, I did not realize that Philly cheesesteaks were a Philly thing because Chicago has like a lot of Philly cheesesteak places. They have yeah, it's like a so thing. many, and I will say most of them are bad and also wrong. Everywhere that you go that serves a Philly cheesesteak has peppers on it here, and I just want to say that I have an issue with it. Okay. I think that's so fair. I have never had, actually, a Philly cheesesteak, so I'm just going to listen. I will say now, as a lactose intolerant person who doesn't really (laughs) eat beef much, Mm, um, mm. it's something I don't partake in as much as I my inner child desires. So were you a Philly person who was like really pounding the steaks? Were you like in that? Is and is that is that truly an identity? <laughs> I would say that it's more of an occasional Okay. situation. <laughs> but when you do have it, it's very exciting. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. I did not know that. Any know Chicago that. food? Well, I just I understand the Chicago hot dogs. I have had close to a thousand of them in this lifetime. Um, I also, (laughs) there's controversy right now about Chicago foods because of the Netflix show Emily in Paris. (laughs) And I don't know if you watched it. I didn't. Wait, how does that relate to Chicago food? Okay, so she, Emily, main character, (laughs) she's from Chicago. And she, you know when people who aren't from a city Google the city and try and pull the three major facts. And so what she took from Chicago was deep dish pizza. And her, the fir- one of the first things she says in, when she's in Paris to a Parisian person is <laughs> it, they're like talking shit about sh- like the States and Chicago. And she's like, well, you like and deep dish pizza. And she's like, well, you probably had Luminati's pizza, which is why you didn't like it. And I just think that that is first off a hate crime no (laughs) so disrespectful like (laughs) deep dish pizza is like a staple in this here city and Luminati's came in late in the game and they came in strong with delicious deep dish and that is my opinion but yeah I feel like it's the hot dogs and the deep dish and then very like because Chicago has so many different ethnic neighborhoods you can eat everything here like literally food city yeah food city anyway that was off topic (laughs) I'm so passionate about Chicago. <laughs> no, that's good. That's And I love living in Chicago now. Yeah, it's the best. And so do you want to say why you decided to come to DePaul and why did you study what you studied? I thought, what's better as a kid than to be in debt? What's better than making a really expensive choice because I want to live really far away? Which also, let me tell you, I live... An inconveniently far distance because to take the Greyhound or a bus, it's 24 hours. Can you imagine like four transfers and 24 hours or a really, really, really expensive flight? Wait, 
<laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I am confusion. <laughs> you have to... What is the four transfers and why is it 24 hours? I've never taken a ground. Well, so on the East Coast, you can take like mega buses or like um, Amtrak trains pretty much yeah. like up and down the coast. You can get to D.C., you can get to Boston, you can get to okay. Philly, New York um, really fast. And they don't really do that to the Midwest that often no. um, because people have cars <laughs> or they right. pay for the plane or they don't go. And it's just not worth it. I've never done it because it doesn't sound appealing. You know what? I'm going to have to say that I cannot in my mind picture Pennsylvania. (laughs) It's just next to Ohio. It's just if like Ohio kept going. Wait, so is Philly, is is it a Midwest? Well, no. Philly is like right next to New York, like two hours from New York. Like, on the coast of Jersey. Like, where that's... Pittsburgh is close to Ohio and, like, West Virginia and more Uh, Midwest uh, vibes than... uh, And I'm I'm doing gestures for you, just Mm. to... I understand, though. You know, the one of the first things that happened when I got to college was people who are from nowhere, (laughs) specifically, and the nowhere that I am referring to is Michigan, (laughs) put the hand up, and I said, what the fuck is that? And they said, oh, my God, you don't know. And I said, I'm from a city that people care about. So, no, I don't know what the hand is. <laughs> and then I, it was explained to me. And then later on, I met a thousand more people from Michigan. People aggressively showed me the Michigan hand more times. Like, yeah. I had never seen it my whole life. Same. Until, like, the I first week of college. <laughs> Literally, I think the first freaking week I saw it. And I said, what is that? And then the necklaces... It's just, it's a whole culture. <laughs> it's a subculture at DePaul. <laughs> um, oh, anyway, that was a tangent. So you chose debt. <laughs> the The field of study is debt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I'm here and I love Chicago. <laughs> Me too, even though I want to leave very soon. Why did you choose to study anthropology? That was something I actually knew right out of high school. And it was a, I took a high school class that did like a four field approach to stuff, music, art, history, and writing and whatnot. And I was like, oh yeah, I really like comprehensive. That's so cool. I didn't know what anthropology was at all (laughs) in high school. Mm -hmm. Just like had a really cool teacher that was really helpful in like telling me what anthropology was that's really nice i was happy to end up with anthropology and then also women and gender studies yeah which helps define my anthro (laughs) what about you i had a weird i think i my parents would not let me study what i wanted to which is crazy because i was the one who's taking on the debt but that's another (laughs) that's a different thing you know for the listeners (laughs) that don't know i'm black (laughs) just In case anyone was wondering. So yeah, I had black parents who were like, you will not study theater. You will not write. (laughs) You will not uh, make music. You will not dance. You will do something that will get you a job. They said artistry to be an artist is to suffer. So I was like, great guys. Thank you for instilling that trauma in me very young. (laughs) And they did the same thing to my sister who I was always leaning towards 
English history, art, and stuff, and my sister was more... She actually is pretty similar, but I think they got to her younger on the, like, chem, science, bio stuff. So yeah, she's a STEM, and both my parents are STEM. So I was like, well, what's the (laughs) in-between? What is the fake science? And I googled it, and anthropology came up, and then I discovered what a social science was. And I was like, that's like basically English and history, but it looks better on paper. Sometimes. Not talking shit about English majors. Unless you were one at DePaul. Um, (laughs) And then I feel like when we, our year, yeah, we went to college in 2016, so that was a year when a lot of people like were in the job market with anthropology degrees and were like doing random stuff. Like I feel like it was like transferable. You could go do a lot of stuff. So I was like, that makes sense. Um, And then I got like a lot of money from DePaul and I said, I guess here is where I will stay. And then I did. And then I, t- I started with a minor in theater studies and I didn't like it. So I switched to women's engineer studies. And now I'm getting a master's in <laughs> Yay. <laughs> but yeah, so we graduated in literally like f- seven months ago in May. Is it that? We graduated in June. June. We graduated in June. <laughs> and we graduated in the apocalypse. <laughs> the global pandemic. The thing yes. that shaped this research (laughs) yeah do you want to talk a little bit about the research that we did we started with an independent study with one of our professors and we just sort of wanted to talk about community and healing actually you were the director of the vagina monologues at DePaul well so 2018 I was the stage manager and I don't know was it me who came to you or you who came to me you came to me because I had to do an independent study and you needed Our track in anthropology at our school was a little messed up, and so we needed to fulfill certain credits, and we just happened to, like, be able to do it at the same time or something. Because we, all we do all the time is read a thousand ethnographies and theory from dead men, dead white guys. I just wanted to engage with just basically a different format or methodology of research that was unlike what we had been consuming, and I thought that it was really great to do that with a group of students who are participating in community-based theater, which was for the vagina monologues at our school, which is, do you think I need to explain? Who doesn't know? Vagina monologues started in the 70s by Eve Ensler, and she was a cis white woman, as am I, and she wrote these series, was really limiting and just really suck, and has continued to be performed at different schools, and Mm -hmm. has been performed at DePaul for a while, but obviously adaptations have been made. The performance at, like, um, our university was mostly not non-white folks and non-cis LGBTQ folks and it was also a community like the show was run on a community setting where all of the participants were really just producing work together and also wanting to perform as like a group that year was hard too because it was like even though there was a lot of performance of color, it was also still like half white. So there was a lot of like headbutting of like what people wanted. But I felt like the show was kind of, and still like with lots of critiques, engaging in a healing format that was really cool. And I just, what, yeah, I wanted to 
talk about that and so we we did a little project about it and then we were able to <clears throat> present about it at this conference which was a queer centered conference about what we found which was that marginalized folks participate in like non-traditional forms of like kinship and do it in these certain settings specifically one of them being performance performance arts yeah and then so we did it again <laughs> we did it again as seniors Yes, we had yeah. another opportunity to do independent study. And I think that time I came to you and was like, hey, yeah, that first work was really, I think, a lot of fun to do just to be yeah. able to talk to people. And I know that there like was butting heads in that year. The next year you were the director. Yeah, I co-directed the show with Janera Field. Woo-woo. Hope she listens to the podcast. Um, and we really, really were like, we need far more people of color. We need a lot more just non-cis white folks participating in a production. And we achieved that. Um, and it was really, really oriented, like more focused on how can we create as a community and what do we need to like heal and how do we heal through our writing. Um, and it was really, in my opinion, it was really successful and we raised a lot of money. You raised a lot of money and it was really good. Um, and then the world shut down because of he who shall not be named, Mr. Trumpy, <laughs> didn't, mm, I'm not even going to say. Um, this all happened and we, yeah, we got funding to conduct this research and then we decided to bring it into a more public format for other people to hear how marginalized people are creating community and being happy even though we're constantly being harmed by the government by systems that really don't want us to exist um, and are still kind of thriving and doing our best in COVID times. And I think that we really like love the idea of being able to just talk to people about how they're surviving and finding community and finding joy and happiness in a really bad time or like maybe not being able to um, and just give space for that and talk yeah. about that. And yeah. I think just any sort of documentation that people existing right now is really cool. Definitely. We, as people who are attempting to pursue or practice basically non-traditional forms of anthropology, we wanted to kind of question what research means and what it looks like and how, like, how closed off it is, how it is only, the academy is literally a void. It is a vacuum and not a lot of people are even identifying like Twitter as like research and like archival work or TikTok or all these new things. And so we just wanted to create something that was actively saying like, this is research. We, we for one, actually had to do IRB work for this. Um, like, I think a lot of people who, you know, fill out like IRBs and do research think it has to be private to not engage in harm and privacy in a number of different ways, but we don't believe that and think that um, through a lot of the processes, how we're doing this podcast and research um, is really just querying what research means, what it looks like, and what it can be. There's so much in terms of social sciences that has been like denounced people's experiences or like you said, like the void of this hierarchy of knowledge that is allowed to like exist and sort of also keeping it in that ivory tower so that people can't access it. And 
we just want to talk to people because that is the social sciences, that is gaining information and knowledge, and also trying to keep that like relationship with people that we're talking to, to have them have power over like what they want to talk about and what they feel comfortable with. Just having it out in the open so that people can hear and just find community in this podcast. Yeah. And it also just like, I think knowledge projection and how the West dictates it, it's like to produce knowledge in public and like for folks. And even though that's not to say that even the way that our podcast is being released is there's certain people who are not going to be able to engage with it, which is um, a form of like this production is privileged for sure. But it's just really critiquing the format of which knowledge production is even created, I think. So yeah, that was like, yeah. There's definitely always limitations, like you said. I mean, having access and then also like we right now are only in English and can only interview people who can speak English, but we're doing our best. Yeah, and our title is <laughs> is so lengthy. <laughs> and I always am like, I have thought many a time, I was like, maybe we should get rid of some words. But alas... <laughs> Also, our hashtag is anthro in 2020 if you want to use it. <laughs> we were doing our senior capstone right as COVID shelter in place happened. It was the end of our quarter and then we had to do it online. It was really abrupt. It was like abrupt for everyone. And so our professor asked us what we wanted our future anthropology to look like. And one of our friends in anthro suggested we do a podcast and we called it at the time anthropology in the time of the apocalypse and we just talked about all the things that we wanted for anthropology and and what we felt like is lost in anthropology and what we need for it and so yeah that's how we came up with this and then we thought that the title just was perfect for what we're talking about now too Mm -hmm. which yeah I mean for apocalypse right now I feel like we're talking about the pandemic, the virtual world, everything um, that has changed yeah. and has continued to change and must change. We are truly just doing our best. Yeah. I don't even, yeah, we talked earlier about how hard life is, mm-hmm. um, but I think we're really helping, hoping. <laughs> hoping. I like hoping. it. <laughs> <laughs> to engage with community in a way that we have been deprived of because of the apocalypse. As we kind of touched on, anthropology doesn't have like the best history, but that we are actively looking to sort of challenge the ideas of what being a researcher is um, and to sort of challenge the hierarchy of that the researcher knows more than the participants and that we are like attempting to extract information and gain something and not be giving something back. Right. Yeah. And I feel like it's important to say also I'm, I, I'm in, I'm in my second year of my master's program, and I know I just said that I graduated. It's because I did. Um, and I'm in an accelerated master's program at my school where my MA and BA are combined, so my last year of my BA was my first year of my MA. And so I'm writing my thesis right now, and I hear my professor's voices in, in my head who are like, you need to ground your research. <laughs> um, so our research is like really, it is deeply grounded in feminist theory and a lot of standpoint theory. We are working with theories around situated knowledges and insider-outsider like 
relationships and research. And so we like, we did not do this work at all. Like <laughs> this was created and done by so many people before us who have laid gra- like the groundwork, but also those folks aren't recognized as canon and anthropology like at all. Um, so I also, I think it's so important to name them like Sandra Harding and like, um, Sri Moraga and Gloria Anzadua, because even though they are really important in women's and gender studies and gender studies, um, they still aren't ever going to be as high as like Jane Goodall or like, who's like another Boaz, you know, like they're never, those are not this, or even like Marx, (laughs) when you're not like (laughs) referencing (laughs) Harding as you are Marx or like any of these white people. So it's just important to say their names. Yeah. Our like methodology and frameworks are just way more inspired by like feminist methodologies than anthro. And I don't think that our anthropology would exist without like all of the people who have invested in like feminist methodology who've given like the words to things that are don't need to exist in academia but have very much been delved into yeah I feel like is really important in understanding like the community building aspect that we are like emphasizing in anthropology because traditionally anthropologists would go into a community oftentimes um a community of native folks and marginalized people of color and self-identify as like a participant observer like observers of the community and say that they were it was as if they weren't even there and they were just writing down and they were really like a part of the neighborhood or town they were <laughs> living in for 3 months and <laughs> that when they left it's like they didn't even leave a mark <laughs> which is not true <laughs> And the anthropology prides itself on doing no harm, which is a load of BS. And I think anthro really needs to self-identify that that is a load of BS, which is what we're doing. Lots of issues with anthro. And I mean, those issues are continuing to be perpetuated um, by professors at our university, like by people continuing in this field and I think that there should be a lot more work done. We mentioned earlier that like there was a a divide in our our department um and that was very much true for our the professors and the students um and I am very happy that the people that were basically our mentors were very self-reflexive to an extent that's not at, like not the cookie cutter self-reflexivity that's talked about in ethnographic research. It was actually like they would hear our complaints, our really like our in- annoying student complaints, um, and change their curriculum and engage in conversations with students about what they needed to do to change for us um, to be better professors and anthropologists. So yeah, we had a really just good people I think I don't think we could have done it without it (laughs) no I don't think I wonder a lot what we would be like if we didn't have ginger (laughs) but yeah so now we're kind of like even though we have been trying to engage in uh, a sort of community based anthropology and maybe healing practices it obviously looks so different in COVID-y we are simultaneously trying to cultivate community and also talk about it, which is really hard. Um, And some of that has just been like, 
we both don't really leave our homes as just a as a heads up <laughs> we do not be leaving <laughs> um and so we're doing lots of like zoom meetings lots of google hangs online doing work together trying to see people at the limited parks that chicago has yeah i mean we are definitely social distancing and quarantining to the extent that we do it is hard it's we're lucky that we live with people i'm grateful to see another person but it is really just hard. It's like, how do you teach your parents to Zoom? How to, or like to FaceTime? Like, I don't, my mom wouldn't answer my FaceTime. I don't, <laughs> but I haven't seen her face in so long. Oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> so it's, it's just finding the ways. I mean, I know people are doing Zoom game nights. And like, there's like Zoom, like stand up shows, which like seems hard. <laughs> I've also, like, um, heard people who are doing, like, virtual strip shows, which is amazing. It's just Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. <laughs> Someone needs to make a better a better Zoom. Oh, yeah. Better mini thing for Zoom. <laughs> and I'm like, do they hear us? Do they know what we're asking of them? Hello? Can you see me? I'm sure they can. Ooh. <laughs> All anyone is doing is making fun of how bad they are. Everyone's talking about this show on Netflix, The Social Dilemma, or this, like, documentary. Have you watched it? I watched the trailer. It's called Social Distance. Is that the one? No? Wait, I'm talking about the one that's all about social media and how, like, Facebook is evil. There's another one called Social Dis. How are there documentaries right now about what's happening? <laughs> it's, okay, so I don't think it's a documentary. I think... If I am correct, which I do not know, so I might be wrong, but I think that it is a show about people on Zoom, people in a show about people in 2020 with like actors playing things being like, I can't get childcare or like, I, I haven't hugged anyone in so long. There's like, um, there's also a scripted series on Hulu about falling in love and quarantine. <laughs> I'm like, who has the time? Who when was this made? What? And Leslie Odom Jr.'s in it. And we're both, unfortunately, Hamilton stands. <laughs> so I was just like, Leslie? No! People are working hard. <laughs> and, like, I listen to so many podcasts, so many with, like, actors and, like, stand-ups who are, like, doing work for shows and movies right now. And I'm like, we did not, we don't need, just no. There's enough. There's enough shows. We can take one break. You know? Many breaks, probably. I'm like, there, did you see the, um, the soap operas are using, like, dummies in the kissing scenes? There's, like, some. This is the apocalypse. <laughs> Innovative, to say the least, is what I am always surprised right. and yet not surprised by. True. It is innovation. It's also <laughs> discomfort. <laughs> so, in the future... <laughs> We will be talking, not really interviewing, just engaging in conversations with friends, people we don't know, people who wrote in and just wanted to be on the podcast to talk about the cool things that they've been doing. Everything, anyone, everyone, marginalized folk. Stay tuned to hear people talk and yeah. hopefully have fun. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully just lots of laughs, probably some sadness because it is sad times. And just fully as much hope as we can manifest right now. Yeah, as, what are we, yeah, we're Zoomers, we're Gen Z, so hope is dead. <laughs> Hope's down the drain. 
Hope began to go downhill once we took on the debt of 2016, first year of college. Here we are. Here we are. But follow us on our socials, um, which is anthro, A-N-T-H-R-O, in 2020 on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to be on our pod, you can also just check our social medias to know how to be on our pod. And yeah. Thanks. And stay safe out there in the apocalypse. Uh, Anthropology in the time of the apocalypse. You've been listening to Earbud Media Production. Earbud Media, audio for everyone.